their main priority is ensuring that the Catholic Church is providing a blessing to homosexuals, a sin which the Bible notes is one of those that cries out to God. And we are back with Rome coverage with uh, Rome correspondent Michael Haynes. We've got some interesting things this week because Pope Francis uh, made a statement. If you remember a few weeks ago, he made a statement about how Pope Benedict kind of supported him on his take on sexual orientations. And then that was proven, of course, false. In fact, the opposite. Something similar happened with regard to marriages this week. He was talking about the easy dissolvability of marriage and how Benedict would have backed him on that. He also spoke about priestly celibacy, basically calling it, you know, something that is totally changeable. And, and it seemed to sound like something that can be totally done away with, even in the Roman Rite. We're going to get to that. But also, very interestingly, he did condemn gender ideology. So that's very confusing, especially because of what he's done in practice. In addition to that, we have the German bishops. Uh, Michael Haynes wrote a fascinating piece about what's going on in the German Bishops' Conference, talking about how the vote in the German Bishops' Conference to allow for homosexual blessings was 38 to 9. Do you remember all the talk from some priests? Father Altman used to say it too, about the huge number of bishops that are either homosexual themselves, that means practicing homosexuals, or at least homosexualist in that they are you know, supportive of it. He talked about more than 50%, and people were like, oh, come on. That's just such an exaggeration. Get this. How then is the vote 38 to 9 in favor of same-sex blessings in Germany? There's more to it because there were some abstentions and whatnot, but nonetheless, 38 to 9, 38 approving, only 9 opposed. In addition to that, the head of the German Bishops' Conference has basically said, yeah, we're going forward with it. We don't care what anybody else thinks, including Rome. All that and more on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show with Rome correspondent Michael Haynes. Stay tuned. Hello, Lysite friends. Aren't you sick of the cancel culture? Aren't you sick of the overlords at YouTube deciding what you'll be able to see and what you won't? Are you sick of them dictating morality and your use of pronouns? Well, we have had enough. With rampant attacks and continuous censorship we face here at LifeSite News, we've decided to bite the bullet. We are taking video into our own hands and we're playing on our own terms rather than the whims of big tech. We have launched our own video platform. Now we have the ability to showcase our important news and views without the risk of being banned and silenced. Defenders of faith, life, family, and freedom can now speak freely at LifeSite News without censorship from anti-life, anti-family, anti-faith, anti-freedom folks who seem to run all the big tech companies. This, of course, takes tons of hard work and also your support. So we're in the midst of our quarterly spring fundraising campaign, and we are in need of your support, both prayerful and financial. These fundraising campaigns are vital to our survival and the ability to broadcast the truth for free all around the world. So with the launch of our new video platform, we will be incurring many new ongoing expenses due to the size and bandwidth of our servers, the personnel expenses to maintain such a large system, and for new and improved features that we hope to add in the coming months. 
we must raise our campaign goal of an absolute minimum of $500,000 to continue the fight to withdraw completely from big tech and strengthen our ability to survive in the giant online world. So please donate at the link in the description below. Thank you for your prayers, your support, and your dedication. We are honored to be in this fight with you. May God bless you. Michael, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, John Henry. Good to be back with you here. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, Michael, so start us off, if you will. This first thing about um, the you know, claim of Francis getting backing from Benedict uh, with regard to uh, this concept. So he, he spoke about marriages, and he really appeared to open the door for very, very easy, quick uh, process to dissolve marriages. So he he claims that uh, Pope Benedict supports him in, in this. So, so what Pope Francis stated, and I'll just get my notes here to get the quotes right for you. Um, so Pope Francis, talking about marriages, particularly young marriages, he says that when these young people say forever, who knows what they mean by forever? And Benedict said that because of this lack of conscience, a large part of them are invalid. So it's, it's quite interesting then, if you actually examine what uh, Pope Benedict says, it's completely almost the opposite of what Pope Francis is saying. So Pope Francis then doubles down. Uh, he mentions that um, Pope Benedict apparently was arguing that a great number of marriages are invalid due to a lack of faith. So it, it's quite interesting to break it down. If you, um, he firstly, he doesn't specify what that lack of faith is in. Is it a lack of faith in God or say a lack of faith in the sacrament? Um, I think if you were to give him the benefit of the doubt, let's say it's a lack of faith in God. Um, <clears throat> but Pope Benedict is not actually mentioning that. So Pope Benedict had a little bit of a uh, development in thought from the time that he was prefect of the CDF to then his uh, writings and statements on it, on the matter when he was Pope. So his last statement on this was in his 2013 address, just before uh, he, he resigned, in his 2013 address to the Roman Rota. And he's talking about marriage and about lack of faith and how you take that into account. And he quite explicitly says, and I quote, I certainly do not intend to suggest any easy automation between deficiency of faith and invalidity of the marriage union. So very, very clearly opposing Pope Francis's argument there that a, a wide number of marriages are automatically invalid. There's a very a fine process to be followed in order to make that discernment. Uh, now, Pope, uh, Pope Benedict quoted from Pope John Paul II in this address, and he, he stated, and I'll quote again, um, an attitude of the betrothed that does not take into account the supernatural dimension in marriage can render it null and void only if it affects its validity on the natural plane in which the sacramental sign is placed. Now, an interesting part is that in 2005, but very early in his pontificate, Pope Benedict actually revealed that when he was prefect of the CDF, he had had a little bit more confusion on the question than he had at that time. And he, he revealed that he'd actually asked, uh, he'd asked bishops' conferences around the world and theologians to examine the question of a lack of faith and how does that affect marriages. 
uh, he also, in 1999, he, he penned a document as head of the CDF uh, on uh, dealing with objections to the church's teaching on the reception of Holy Communion by the divorced and remarried. And uh, I quote here, but he, he states, and I quote, further study is required concerning the question of whether non-believing Catholic, uh, non-believing Christians, baptized persons who never or who no longer believe in God can truly enter into sacramental marriage. So at that point, he was asking for further, further thought on the matter, but then as Pope, he clarified that the problem was actually much more complicated than he thought. It wasn't an easy yes or no answer. But in, despite that, uh, Pope Francis appears to be trying to use Pope Benedict's words, which he actually didn't state, and just to claim that a wide variety of marriages are invalid just because of some unspecified reason, really. It's, it's a very interesting thing. We've got two concepts here, faith in God or, or faith in marriage or acknowledgement of what the sacrament is. No one is saying that you know, there can be no valid annulments. There can be no valid improper marriages. Um, but what we are saying is that, and what the church is saying, is that you can't say, well, they didn't know enough about God, they didn't believe enough in God so that their marriage is invalid. The invalidity would have to come with a, the natural state of marriage. In other words, before the sacrament even, just in the commitment to one another. And so... If there is some thought, for instance, that this that they're entering is just, you know, we want to do this for the weekend, that would be a lack of uh, faith in, you know, the the actual um, marriage right or whatever, rather than um, a lack of faith in God. Is that is that the distinction? It, yes, it, it appears to be, and he appears to expand on that, as you say. If there's if you have something very clear where it's you're just going to get married. I don't know, as you say, for, for a weekend, for some foolish reason, for, for a bet or something, that shows a complete lack of, of understanding of what marriage is. Uh, but what seems to be that the danger here is that Pope Francis is trying to open up the door here to allowing people to say, well, my marriage isn't valid, or so-and-so down the road, their marriage isn't valid, um, based on, on aspects which are very actually very hard to define. He even makes this really, really troubling claim that there may be marriages which are invalid, and he quotes uh, the direct quote is uh, that they, quote, may not be able to prove it, which appears to go directly against the church's canon law, because canon 1060, you can go and check it out, but it states that marriage possesses the favour of law. In the case of doubt, validity of marriage must be upheld until the contrary is proven. Uh, Francis is trying to say it may be valid, it may not be. We we don't know, and it could be it could be invalid even if you have no evidence. It, it's it's um it's undermining the sacrament itself. It undermines the process by which young men and women enter the sacrament. If if he's going to take that position, really, yeah, it's a sad thing because it relates back to easy annulments um, for a long time, and the Pope. Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict both complained that this was going on. It was basically, you know, it was a Catholic form of divorce because it was ridiculous the the way annulments were being handed out, almost like candy. So you do end up doing very grave harm to the sacrament, but also to married couples who 
in times of hardship then begin to wonder about the validity of their marriages. And so it's a very troublesome thing. You know, couples struggling should be able to call on the grace of marriage, not wonder if their marriage is, is valid or not. Um, so very, very damaging things indeed. But the calling of, you know, Benedict as if, you know, supporting his thesis, which when he's talking the opposite, that's kind of a concerning thing. And we've seen that over and over again. Uh, and in fact, just a few weeks ago with regard to uh, same-sex unions in another interview that he gave. When he was talking then about priestly celibacy, also something, again, a complicated issue because he raises the you know, married priesthood in um, the Eastern Rite and talks about that. Give us some clarity. What did he say? And um, how does that play out in Catholic thought? So he was, uh, he was expanding on, on celibacy and he, uh, he was asked about whether or not that could be a subject for change or revision in the upcoming years. And so he stated, there's no contradiction for a priest to marry. <laughs> he said, uh, celibacy in the Western church is a, a temporary prescription. Um, said it's, it's not an eternal uh, aspect like the priestly ordination, which confers the, the priestly the priestly state. Um, so he, he just called celibacy the discipline. Um, and then he was then asked again specifically, could this be revised? And he said, well, yeah. So um, it, he's, he's mentioned this uh, a couple of times over the, over the last few years. Uh, again, in, in quite a number of interviews, He's, he's probed on whether or not celibacy could be uh, could be revised, and he, he often comes back to this argument that well, it's just it's just a law. <clears throat> and as we've seen with many other things, say like with marriage, or with many of his statements, he he strays his foot over the line, creating that confusion and suggesting that in, at some point soon we'll be uh, we'll be revising this teaching. Uh, but it's this is very very dangerous, particularly in light of. In, especially in light of the German church, the Synodal Way, where you have very strong liberal forces who are arguing for, for female deacons or for married priests or for, um, for transsexual uh, uh, deacons or priests, for Pope Francis then to, to casually suggest that the, the rule of celibacy is just you know, something that could change at will or change as the church goes into a new age or not. Mm-hmm. So let's delve into that, because in the Eastern Church, uh, it is permitted, which, which he mentions. But there's some rules around that. Uh, in the Eastern Church, that's uh, the Catholic Church, you can't get married if you're already a priest. You can, however, if already married, become a priest. So that's the way they have it in the Eastern Catholic Churches, uh, in some of them. But you also cannot become a bishop if you are married. So there is a distinction there. They recognize still that the proper or best form is to conform yourself as a priest to Jesus Christ himself, who, of course, was unmarried. St. Paul says very clearly in the scriptures, I, uh, you know, uh, I wish that you were as me, in other words, a celibate. And it is very clear from the church's perennial teaching that that is the superior way. It, you know, to give oneself um, in that way to the Lord is a higher calling, but 
you know, it is one that is proper for priests. And I know there's the permission, but even the Eastern Church acknowledges that the best way is celibacy. Yeah, exactly. I think your your uh, reference there to sacred scripture is is one of the more beautiful arguments that <clears throat> the call to the priesthood is is not like a call to another role in in the rest of the world. It's a call apart to something where you are a father of souls and you're you're ministering to all those around you, and very much so that that involves if it's to be Christ-like, whose love was a sacrificial love, which involved him dying for us on the cross. The priesthood then has to imitate that Christ-like love, which is sacrificial, which is um, a death to oneself and to the world, and to therefore deny oneself the the natural inclinations uh, towards marriage and to follow Christ in that very particular, very, very beautiful vocation, which is the the celibate state. And um, this is I think something which has cropped up time and time again as a, a means to attack the church from those either who hate the church within the church or without the church, because the celibacy of the sacred priesthood is something so beautiful that opponents of the church really see it as one of the main goals to, to destroy completely. <clears throat> because once you remove the priesthood as, as something set apart, as a state of life which you have to sacrifice so much for, then the church becomes like a normal organization, a normal business with branches in different parts of the world and its positions of authority and it's, uh, are no longer held by those who sacrifice everything in order to follow Christ. Well, I mean, think about this situation practically. Look, I'm a dad, I have eight kids. If you think about the priesthood, and I don't mean those who consider the priesthood a job. I put in my nine to five and I'm done. That's nonsense. The life of a priest is given to Christ wholly and fully. And if you follow around the priests who are totally in love with Jesus, who give themselves to this work, they're on like 24-7. They are sought out by many of the faithful who need confessions, sometimes help. They're called in the middle of the night to give the last rites to dying people. They are in confessions for hours at a time, sometimes every day. That's in addition to all the masses and the preparation they have to do, but they also they have a life of prayer. They have a life where they pray the divine office every day. They're, they're praying for hours a day. There's not enough hours in a day to be a priest, let alone to have a family. This is, is practically impossible. So there's very good reason. I mean, some some are doing that, Eastern Rite, and, and those who have um, converted from other, um, you know, uh, Anglicanism and or Protestantism of some kind, and they're doing heroic service. I don't besmirch them at all, but I think almost all of them to a man will be ready to say, obviously, the celibate state is the proper way. And yep, there are exceptions, but it is the proper way. And so this kind of talk about, yeah, it can be done away with, meh, it's not a big deal. It's very dangerous indeed. Yeah, it reduces it to something that's there just for the sake of being there, uh, in the sense that, I don't know, there could be a rule in the seminary about what, uh, <clears throat> what, what fasting requirements are to be adhered to during Lent, but just a particular rule for that seminary. It, it kind of compares the celibate priesthood to that as something that we can change because there's no greater theological meaning to it 
so we can change it if we feel like it. And that, as you say, is is very against what the church has always taught because it, the church notices, well, it doesn't notice it, it loves and protects that deeply theological beauty of, of the celibate priesthood, which is in the imitation of Christ. Some of you may remember, or perhaps even newly appreciate, the late Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. He is considered one of the greatest communicators in the modern era and stands as a great example for all of us in what it means to work in Catholic broadcasting. For over 50 years, Sheen captivated audience on both radio and television, and millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. One of LifeSite's supporters is Radio Maria, and they are now proud to be showcasing some of Bishop Sheen's timeless recordings on their weekly radio show entitled Bishop Sheen Presents. Please consider tuning in to Radio Maria on Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Central or Saturdays at 5 p.m. to enjoy the Venerable Archbishop's wit and wisdom. For more information on Radio Maria and their Catholic work, please visit their website, radiomaria.us. That's radiomaria.us. And now, back to the program. One of the stunning things you wrote about last week was just, or, or this week actually, was the vote at the German synodal meetings where they approved the blessing of same-sex marriages. Now, that, that's a bit of an old news, but new is that number. The breakdown of votes among the bishops, I thought, is stunning, particularly because of what I said in the intro there about how you know people used to say, oh, there's like 50% of the bishops who are either practicing homosexuals themselves or homosexualists and that they agree with homosexuality and encourage it and whatnot. And everybody thought 50%, as Father Altman would say, or higher. Oh, come on. But the vote? What was the vote? Well, exactly. The vote of the bishops was uh, 38 to 9. Let me just double check so it's absolutely correct. Yeah, 38 to 9 of the bishops in a similar way. Yeah. And there was, what, vote. 11 abstentions. Is that right? 11 abstentions. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So 38 to 9. The vast majority of them who are approve it, only nine dare to oppose. You're talking not even a quarter. And then there's 11 abstentions who are like, man, whatever, I'm not going to say anything. That's just stunning. You, I think you're right. You have to ask, why are these bishops so keen and on promoting the same-sex blessings or also keen on promoting this... Uh, normally very undefined inclusion of homosexuality, which generally just means accepting homosexuals and homosexual behaviour. It's, it's, it's a very peculiar, a very disturbing state of the church when you have bishops who have responsibility, not just their own souls, for the souls of their priests, and for the souls of all the faithful in those priests' parishes and in their diocese. And it seems that their main priority is ensuring that the Catholic Church is providing a blessing to homosexuals, a sin which the Bible notes is one of those that cries out to God. The, now, Catholic teaching is very clear that there is a condemnation of homosexuality, but it's not a condemnation of people with homosexual tendencies. But the document which they approved was the blessings for couples who love each other, and that, that's going to include homosexuals. Uh, so what they're doing by that is just approving blessings for people who are actively engaging in a homosexual lifestyle. 
So there is this massive lack of concern among the bishops for leading these people down the road to hell. And maybe they don't believe that anymore. To be frank, they probably don't. In all charity, thinking about them and their stance, voting for this, they don't think they're leading them to hell. But they know they're allowing them or leading them or assisting them, encouraging them even, in a behavior that's physically harmful. It's psychologically harmful, but maybe they say it's only psychologically harmful because everybody condemns it. Let's give them every argument. But the physical is still there. So there's no way they can claim, oh, they want to be charitable, they want to be good and loving. No, they're not. Any parent, when they know their children are doing something that is harmful for them, even if they think they like it, will stop them from doing it. You don't let your children eat chocolate all day, every day, and then complain of the cavity pain because you love them. And they're going to complain when you take the chocolate away. They are. But you do it anyway because you love them. And that's parenting. That's hard, but it's parenting. If you don't care, uh, just you know, give them all the chocolate they want. Who cares? Who cares? Because you know what? He's not complaining to me. That's not love. So very concerning indeed, but there is more. Um, you were writing on, um, you know, even recently about a new video out from the head of the German bishops talking about what they're going to do. Fill us in, please. This was uh, Bishop Georg Batzing. So he's the, the head of, as you say, the German bishops conference. And he was interviewed by the media shortly after the vote was taken. And the media were, were pressing him asking, are you not going in opposition to the Vatican and to Pope Francis by your advocacy for same-sex blessings? Uh, it's very interesting to, to watch how Bishop Patsing responds. He, he tries to argue that if there is a good in a relationship, then this is something that uh, we can bless. And that he's pressed again on, are you not forging ahead a path that's in contradiction to the Pope? And Bishop Maxing responds, well, we're going to do it here. You know what? That's so stunning. It's worth watching. Now, it's in German, but there are subtitles in English. Take a look at this. Watch his body language. Read these questions and his answers. It's stunning. And this is why we have the talk that they're going to go into schism. Now, that's said, though, by people who believe, I guess, that Pope Francis will actually do something and had to sort of regretfully tell them they're in schism? I don't think so, but watch that. Homosexuelle Paare, Paare, die geschieden und wieder verheiratet sind, Paare, die um den Segen bitten, ja, das ist das, etwas, was wir hier tun. Ja, das können Sie hier tun, aber das Problem ist, dass der Vatikan dazu bisher immer gesagt hat, es sei nicht erlaubt, homosexuelle Partnerschaften zu segnen. Heißt das, Sie setzen sich jetzt quasi über den Papst hinweg? Zunächst einmal muss man sagen, die Praxis der Segnung gibt es und wir wollen sie ans Licht holen. Und das heißt, dass wir Bischöfe uns dazu positionieren und sagen, es ist gut, dass wir das tun. Was in einer Beziehung zwischen zwei Menschen in einer Partnerschaft gut ist, das kann auch den Segen Gottes bekommen. Das ist nur folgerichtig. Und wir haben heute gehört aus der äh, belgischen Kirche, dass dies dort auch schon umgesetzt ist und dass das sogar mit Rom bereits besprochen ist. Ja, Ihr Kollege aus Belgien hat gesagt, er habe das so quasi 
so nebenbei irgendwie durchgekriegt. Aber ist denn das wirklich das, was Sie wollen, nämlich, wie Sie gerade gesagt haben, es ans Licht holen, weil es gut ist? Sind Sie ganz sicher, dass der Papst das ganz genauso sieht? Wir werden es hier umsetzen. Wir haben dazu ganz intensiv gearbeitet. Wir haben ja in vier Foren gearbeitet mit zig äh, Personen aus dem Synodalen Weg, mit Expertinnen und Experten, haben solide Texte erstellt, in denen die Argumentationen, die zu unseren Beschlüssen führen, ja sehr ausführlich dargelegt sind. Und darüber sind wir gerne bereit zu sprechen. Aber das Handeln wird verändert werden. So, Michael, any final thoughts on that? I think it's, it really shows just how much the Vatican's authority uh, has, has slipped away. <clears throat> the fact that these German bishops are so carefree and easy to just blatantly disregard the Vatican's authority, which is clearly stated in 2021 that the church cannot bless same-sex blessings. It's interesting, too. It also shows that because of the mention of Belgium, Belgium's already doing this, It shows when Rome does not act to correct its allowances of these falsehoods, of these heresies, they build upon one another. And so now Germany is basically just pointing to Belgium saying, hey, they've been doing it. Of course we're going to do it. Unreal. One last thing that I wanted to discuss with you, Michael, and that was a fascinating thing. Pope Francis, uh, in an interview, I want to read this uh, here. It was in the, one of those same interviews that was given uh, that we've already mentioned. Um, he talked about gender ideology, and he said, and I quote, is one of the most dangerous ideological colonizations. So this is very interesting because this is Pope Francis. He's actually condemned the gender ideology probably over a dozen times. Now, That sounds really strange, because is that the same Pope Francis who had a transgender couple over at the Vatican? Who, so two women came over, one of whom had mutilated herself to look like a man and took hormones, so she had facial hair and she had lopped off her breasts. Yep, that's the same one. He called them married and happy. That's Pope Francis with the transgender couple. Is this the same Pope Francis who praised, congratulated, and loves the nun they call the nun of the trans, who, yes, she works with the poor wonderfully, but she opened up a home for poor transgender people, and she lets the couples, remember these are two males or two females, one of whom presents or whatever as a different sex, but lets them live together as couples. Is this the same Pope Francis who has welcomed transgender activists as well? Well, yes, it is. So how do we square Pope Francis saying that, you know, gender ideology is one of the most dangerous ideological colonizations? And then the Pope Francis who seems to bless the behavior of transgender individuals. It used to be that the church would not only hold that the kind of sinful ideologies are bad, it would also say we love the sinner and hate the sin and therefore encourage all of those who are engaged in behaviors that are harmful for themselves to come out of them. But uh, we see something very different here.
it's quite interesting to note the discrepancy there between his words and his actions. <clears throat> if you, you mentioned the meeting and the welcome that he gives to transgender individuals. We saw quite a few times over last spring and summer, how at the end of his general audience, he received transgender groups. It, if you try and imagine someone like Pope St. Pius X receiving transgender individuals at an audience, welcoming them, shaking their hands and you know, enjoying them, their company, having his photo taken with you, that, that's very much, that just wouldn't happen with Pope St. Pius X. But as you say, Pope Francis has this discrepancy between um, sometimes saying something that sounds vaguely Catholic and then managing to act in a way that's very not Catholic. And I think also in that same interview, he differentiates between gender ideology and sexual orientation. It, it, it does appear that he, in making that distinction, he lends almost some implicit support to, uh, to the arguments regarding sexual orientation. So it seems that he's it's almost supporting the arguments for homosexual behavior or for lesbian behavior, but he's just at least verbally pulling back a little bit from supporting the, the transgender movement, which is, it's, he's the Pope of confusion. Indeed so, the Pope of confusion. We need to pray that uh, he converts and that he does what the Pope is supposed to do. Our Lord charged, you know, St. Peter, the first Pope, confirm your brethren in the faith. And that's what we need from the Pope. Any final thoughts, Michael? I think uh, it's an easy final thought, but I think just to echo that the prayers necessary for, for the church, particularly now in the wake of the German bishops, who are openly uh, rejecting not only Pope Francis, because he is the Pope of Confusion, but they're rejecting the Catholic faith of ages, which is going to have a devastating impact on the church. And so we, I think we should pray especially for uh, for divine inspiration for the Pope and for the relevant cardinals to take a stand and to actually to start protecting the Catholic faith. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. Thank you very much, John Henry. God bless you, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.